Good Friday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast, brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Check them out online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com or on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate. We hope everybody's having a great Friday with Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Plenty to get to in the Mailbag Podcast. Plenty of things to talk about surrounding the college football season. The NFL started last night. We had some college football last night. We got college football this weekend. We have contact tracing as the most popular topic and conversation out there in the college football world. But we've got your questions we're going to dive into first and foremost here uh, in the mailbag edition of this podcast. And ironically, with all the football talk going on, we're going to kick it off with a basketball question to you, Rob Lewis. What's the latest on the plans for college basketball? What are you making all this bubble talk? Get the ACC acting like Oprah Winfrey out there. Everybody gets their punch their ticket. Everybody gets Yeah, their, I, don't, uh, I mean, I, I, I think the NCAA – I thought the NCAA came out and threw some threw some cold water pretty quickly on the ACC's idea of having three having a three hundred forty six team NCAA tournament. I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. And I mean, we're we're not going to know anything for a couple of months, and and so much is going to depend on football. But the people I'm talking to on on, on campus around the, around the basketball program, I mean, it seems. I mean. Almost maybe naively optimistic <laughs> that they're going to have a basketball season that's going to start on time on November 11th at Wisconsin. Ah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But I mean, again, I think so much depends on football how how it rolls how, how it rolls out how how that all you know plays out with you know with with infections with you know, with with travel. But people I'm talking to on the basketball side of things are, are optimistic that, that they're going to play and they're going to start on time. What's it, what's it look like with fans in the building? That 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 to me is the biggest question. I, I don't have a big problem thinking that basketball is going to start on time, but what's it going to look like with fans and the way we're talking? And what's it look like with the, with the with the uh, contact tracing? Because you know, obviously Jamie Pruitt's up in arms about how that's working out with his football team right now. If you follow the same guidelines with basketball. I mean, you might have guys missing, you know, four or five games in, in, in two weeks, the, the way that's that's rolling out in football right now. I don't know what the regular season's going to look like, guys. I, I, I think it's hard to figure out right now. I just know that there's $750 or $60 million on the line for the NCAA tournament. I think when you talk about bubbles, I think that's where the bubble thought process comes from. I mean, what if you took – Rob, and you took two weeks prior to the conference tournament or eliminate the conference tournament. You took two weeks between the end of the regular season and the start of the NCAA tournament or two weeks between conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. And instead of having all these regional sites and first and second round games, you bubble in Orlando and play the NCAA tournament in Orlando where everybody's in a bubble. The teams get down there. You know, nobody goes. It's quarantine. Quarantine should be over and you play your NCAA tournament down there. Rick Barnes made it clear they have to play the tournament for financial mm-hmm. reasons this year. I think that's where your bubble's most likely to happen if it's no, going to happen that no, way. No question. They have to have an NCAA tournament or the NCAA as a body ceases to exist because that's, that's where they get all their money. That's the financial lifeline for that entire organization. That's CBS, TNT, everybody, and that, that's that, – all that money goes to the NCAA. They don't get money from the college football playoff. They don't get money from bowl games. They don't get money from, you know, ESPN, SEC Network for, for showing 
college football games, they own the NCAA basketball tournament, and that's where they get all their money. That's They're going to play the NCAA tournament in some form or fashion. All right, let's uh, continue on here, jump into some football stuff. This is from LF Ball, uh, taking, talking offensive tackles. Three questions for you, Austin. Are we at risk of losing Wanye and Darnell if they do not start, meaning would they transfer? Are we seriously t- talking about taking a junior college offensive tackling class even if we do not get MIMS? And in light of that JUCO offer, is Tennessee moving on from Rod Orr? First of all, what, what do you make of the JUCO offer? Let's just simplify questions here. I was surprised that Tennessee offered a junior college offensive tackle. What, what was your take from that? I'm not. They, they offer everybody. I mean, they, they're going, they throw it offers to kids. They never plan on taking. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, good. you know, how does it benefit them with another kid at that particular JUCO? Or how does it help them with another kid at a high school? Or throwing a bone to, a, you know, a coach friend that, you know. I mean, like you see that all across college football. You know, there's all kinds of, like, you know, kind of pats on the back. Oh, yeah, I'll offer it. Tell him he's got an offer. And the kid tweets it out he's got an offer. But they never would take the kid. So I make nothing of that. Uh, not to say that they're not actively looking at this kid. I'm just saying, like, I don't think that it's like, you know, oh, they're out for Ben's or going to Florida State, all of that. I don't think that that's the case at all. I think Tennessee just threw an offer his way. Um, you know, as far as Darnell and uh, Wanye, I think those guys will be fine. I, I still would lean towards both those guys starting the year. I just know that as of now, Jameer Johnson has had a strong start to fall camp. But that's just to get back to a level playing field. The biggest thing for Wanye is being out there. He's been out due to contact tracing, you know, for half of fall camp. So, I mean, you know, that's, that, that's, that's to his detriment. I mean, I think there's, what, I think two linemen that have not had to miss any at all, you know, um, and, and not all these guys have missed due to COVID. You know, like Brandon Kennedy, they, you know, they, they rest him on certain days just because, I mean, you know, why do you, why are you go put him through the ringer? I mean, the guy's had multiple knee surgeries. Trey Smith obviously misses because of, you know, at times because of, you know, the, 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 the clotting stuff, um, you know, even though he's practicing more now than he did a year ago. Um, you know, but I, I think, I think it's Jameer and Darnell may be the only two linemen that haven't missed any time. And I think Darnell's found a little bit of a different gear. It sounds like the last four or five days, maybe a little over a week, Austin, and, and talking to some people, not that he's suddenly become all world, but it, it seems like, maybe he's a little more dialed in the last week or so than than he was at the start of camp. As told to me by someone over there, his really good plays are unbelievable. And then his bad plays are really, really bad. And like, they're trying to get the bad plays to be, you know, average and the, the unbelievable plays to be unbelievable. So, you know, if they can, if they can get a little more consistency, then I think he can start to take off. All right, Vol fan 0316, how do you feel about the progress of Jeremy Banks? Do you feel like he's going to be a solid contributor this season? I, I think he's going to play. Does that mean he starts? I don't know. I think he'll be in a rotation at linebacker. I think he'll be a fixture on special teams as well. That's my take. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think there's a solid shot that he possibly starts, um, you know, uh, early in Austin. may not start against South Carolina, but I think he can work his way into being a starter um, by Missouri and or Georgia. Um, and, you know, I do think he plays a lot. So if he starts, would you move Crouch to outside because they don't have enough help out there, or you just think he straight up beats Crouch out? Um, I think they could potentially look at Crouch back outside. Okay. Really? Interesting. interesting. I think that is interesting. 
So crouch back to get outside your, in, in, in front of Kevon Bennett or Roman Harrison? Or I'm DeAndre Johnson. Or behind the, one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it comes down to, you know, when you look at trying to get your best 11 on the field, is your best 11 with Crouch at, mid, at inside linebacker and Banks on the sidelines, or is your best 11 with Crouch out there and Banks out there at the same time? I think right now probably their best 11 is with Banks still watching because he's missed so much time. But you could see, Austin, I think what you're saying is you could see to get their best 11 on the field, they might make that move to Crouch back to where he was a year ago. Yeah, and either way, I think that both those guys are going to play a lot of football. I think Thank Q and, and Jeremy Banks will see a lot of action. All right, let's go to Tony G in SC. It's been alleged over the past several days that all the SEC schools are not playing uh, on a level field as far as contact tracing goes, and that local Knox County governments, particularly the Knox County Medical Authorities, are placing a more stringent requirement on what happens in the county. Coach Pruitt mentioned that, self, mentioned that himself in a couple of uh, Zoom calls he's done. If they have jurisdiction over what happens in Knoxville, would SEC teams visiting Neyland be subject to more stringent rules? It would seem they would have the ability to impose such requirements if they're given license to impose stricter conditions in the name of preserving the health of Knox County. No, they're not going to have any jurisdiction over somebody visiting for a football game uh, because those guys are going to come, um, you know, in the night before. They're going to be bubbled into their hotel. They're going to all have tested on Friday uh, before they leave to come on a road game. And nobody's telling a passer through that, you, you know, you're in quarantine. They're not going to the Hampton Inn to, to <laughs> test somebody or to put somebody in quarantine that's passing through on a road trip somewhere. It just doesn't work that way. But let me say this about contact tracing, and then we'll, we can all jump in here a little bit. I don't know that it's a situation where they're not following rules in other places or that Knox County uh, is doing something vastly different. But I think the interpretation of contact tracing around the SEC differs from one place to the other, okay? I, I think in some places, contact tracing, they've come up with this arbitrary number of 15 minutes. So if a medical person asks a player, hey, were you around your teammate yesterday at lunch? And a teammate had tested positive, and he says, yeah. He goes, well, how, much, how long were you with him? Well, maybe their standard answer in some places is 10 minutes. Because if you say 10 minutes, then you don't have to go to quarantine, right? So I think you have some manipulation of things that way. I think the other thing in some, in some places is what areas are, quote, off limits to contact tracing. For example, if you're on the practice field, that's an area where contact tracing does not exist. Okay? You can't – they can't say, hey – so-and-so's got COVID, he was on the practice field, and that means everybody has to go into 14-day quarantine because he was on the practice field with them. Or everybody in the huddle that he was in has to go into quarantine because there's, quote, no contact tracing on the practice field. But maybe in some places, contact tracing doesn't apply to the locker room, but it does at other places. I think that's the greatest source of frustration is that there's, the, there's so much wiggle room, gray area in, in the contract tracing rule. It's a little bit like NASCAR. You know, it's, you, you got a rule, but then how can you kind of manipulate that rule to your best advantage? And I so think like some people are – Yeah, I think some people are – spoiler on a car. <laughs> I think some yeah, I people mean, are handling contact tracing at schools different than other schools are. And, and I don't know how all the football teams do it, but I, 
uh, I've talked before. I have, a, I have a son who's a freshman at Tennessee. He has really good friends who are at Alabama, who are at Auburn, who are at Georgia, and their student bodies are being treated completely differently at those three schools. With Tennessee being by far, by far, the most restrictive. So I think that I don't know that it's. I know everybody wants to, you know, where does where do they go? You know, who are they supposed to attack on Twitter about it or whatever the case may be? I think it's a situation that you know people are just following. You know, your 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 viewing of what the rule may be or how to interpret the rule is different from place to place. More because the SEC protocol says fourteen day quarantine for pro, for contact tracing. That's the rule across the board. But how you get to that, it, it may differ from school to school. It, it, it's still mind-boggling to me that kids can be tested three and four times and all be negative, and you're still like, nope, can't go nope. back. <laughs> nope. Whatever, Sim. That's, I mean, we all know. I, I mean, I told the story. We, I mean, I'm not, not going to mention any names. We all are aware. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of one player in particular who was quarantined for 14 days, and during that 14 days, tested negative four times and was still not allowed to come back to practice. And, and, and again, the rules through all of this have changed like the wind. I mean, at one point, again, Fauci said, wear goggles, wear goggles. I mean, like at some point. You, at one point in time, you said, don't wear masks. Yeah, Correct. I mean, That's right. what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's, there's no rhyme or reason. It's like it's honestly like the NCAA. Well, and I and I think things going on. I, I think the other thing too is uh, there's probably some schools who dealt with the virus in a different way with their athletes in, in June. They had their they had cases, they had contact tracing cases, and they probably had a got got a better understanding of hey how can we manage this when August comes around and we start practicing. Whereas at Tennessee, they did not have any cases in June. Their first dealing with it was the middle of July. And then it's become a bigger issue for them once everything got into August and, and football and, started. And Jeremy talked about, Brent, the fact that he's had, you know, multiple players that have had to set out multiple 14-day quarantines. Whereas if the kid just got it, He's out 10 days and then is immune from having to sit out for three months. Right. I mean, like, it, it honestly behooves you. It behooves the kids, if they want to play, to get it. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, Saban was probably sending kids to a COVID car wash when they got, <laughs> they got terrible. <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> Let's move on. Jeez, Louise. All hey, right, hold, on, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Before we go oh, through, has oh. anybody figured out? Has anybody figured oh, out what? if we found Kirby Smart's golf ball in the woods yet? <laughs> It's 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 with a mysterious tiger somewhere, and Here, the wallaby that's on the loose. Here's here's else. what I know: that multiple SEC coaches were ribbing Kirby Smart on their SEC group text. Well, I, let me say this: Kirby Smart is not the only SEC coach who's never lost a golf ball. Because Correct. If you if you've played with some SEC coaches. They can hit the thing across 75 on some golf courses and go, hey, it was laying right here next to the cart path. And you know it's a semi-truck going down the road. One time I played golf with John Chavis, and I love Chief, but we were on hole seven at Avalon, which is the par five. And he hits, as you just discussed, in the middle of 75. He goes up there, drops, literally knocks the next shot on the green and makes the putt and goes, eagle. <laughs> 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 All right, let's go to TGX here. 
Um, does the whole contract contact tracing thing change your thoughts and your predictions for the season for Tennessee? Well, sure. I mean, I think it's it, it's hard to think that Tennessee's going to be real good. I think this goes back to what one coach told me last week. It's going to be paramount to keep it simple, to keep the game plan simple, to not overbog down the minds of these kids when they have had to miss so much time. And so who can play the cleanest football, the most simple football, could be the team that has success. You ain't got to be, you know, you know, inventing, reinventing the wheel here with, with your offensive strategy and your defense if you can tackle and if you can block. Rob? I mean, I just, I mean, like hearing Jeremy talk the last couple of times, I mean, it just seems like he's exasperated. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't mean like he's pointing fingers at anybody, like it's anybody's fault, but just the, you know, hey, how, you know, how are we supposed to do this? You know, I've got 31 offensive players at, at practice. You know, I can't scrimmage with, you know, even with, with two deep on both sides. I just, I mean, he's, he's talking about, you're, you're talking about having, all these penalties and, and we're in the middle of September, you know, in a scrimmage, you know, the, the kind of stuff you talk about the first, you know, you know, the first scrimmage in August, I just, I mean, I, I'm glad they're playing football, but man, I mean, he, he seems like a coach that is just expecting the worst, you know? Yeah. Sloppy. You don't like, you know, sloppy in the middle of September is, is not where you want to be, but that's to be expected when you haven't scrimmaged and you haven't had your full team out team out there. I think you're right to have a chance to win Austin. He who can keep it the simplest um, and, 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 and execute is going to have a better chance to, to win football games. Bronco Vall wants to know uncle Austin two twenty two recruiting questions at this time. How many wide receivers would you expect Tennessee to take in the class of 22 where does Caden Pope fall into that mix? Well, I think that Tennessee would probably take – that's hard because, you know, they took four last class. They've got, I think, three in this class, um, three or four. Um, I would say three or four again. I mean, I, you know, I think they'll still continue to take heavy amounts of receivers. Think about Barry. And, and I, you look at a lot of these guys are in state, Cam Miller, Barry on Brown, Isaiah Horton. Uh, you know, Caden Pope. I mean, you know, there's gonna be some of the, you know, some top end guys out of state too. So, um, Cam Miller, wideout. Yes. Oh yeah, all the way, all the way. Um, so, um, you know, I, I think that Tennessee, you know, likes all these in state kids. They like Caden Pope, and so uh, I think he's right there along the same lines as you know the other guys in state I just mentioned. All right, let's go to uh, the next one here. Hearing the worry about running backs, but no one's mentioning Carlin Fields and me. Why? He's had moments in his career. How can three freshmen be ahead of him if you lost the top two? All three freshmen aren't ahead of him because Lennox Whitehead's not going to play. Uh, but quite frankly, I, I think you look at T. Hodge and you look at uh, Jabari Small, and I think those guys are more traditional running backs. I think they're uh, I, I think Carlin feels to me he's a specialty player. You talk about his moments. His moments have been jet sweeps. You know, they, how many times have they turned and handed to him and told him to run between the tackles? That's not his well, game. That's not who he is. The moment that I remember best was when he had to come in as a true freshman over at South Carolina and Dobbs, and he had the messed up exchange, and that led to the loss at South Carolina and subsequent uh, loss of the SEC East. So there's the moment I remember. Well, I just think that – I just think that – those guys are better. I mean, I think that they've recruited past him. Um, and I think if you see him, it would be in a, in a specialty type role with a specialty type play as we've seen 
the last couple of years in his career. Um, UT Sportsman 16, are Middleton and Solomon going to play this year? Yes. I think so, too. I mean, I, I know those rumors have been out there. I, I think we mentioned this in the war room. I, I think Solomon has been limited in terms of how much work, teamwork he's been getting uh, for whatever reason. And I think uh, Middleton has missed some time for you know, COVID-related stuff, whether it's quarantining for contact tracing or, or whatever. But I think he's missed some time, which is why you didn't see him out there earlier this week. But I think both those guys right now, the intention is, would be for those guys to play. Now, that unit as a whole, as we know, has to get better. And, Rob, it's a little surprising with all that they have coming back that you hear Jeremy Pruitt be as critical as you were. And when you asked him about it on Thursday, he started mentioning, you know, a couple of guys we hadn't heard a lot about. You know, he's talking about Garland. He's talking about, you know, Blakely and, and some guys, who, you know, nobody would really talk about or really were thinking about. So, clearly there's some frustration with that group. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, that's – to me, has been other than like his. He, he's been pretty raw about Cade Mays, but other than other than that, when he, we talking about his team, I, I thought his comment last week about the defensive line was kind of the most you know open he's been about anything, and that was in, in a very negative light. And also, with, you know, based on all the stuff we're hearing, the offensive line has been patchwork at best because of the COVID stuff. I, mean, I think there's been a lot of guys missing time. You bring back every single guy who played last year on the defensive line. You think they kind of be setting the tone for camp, and that has clearly not been the, the impression that Jeremy has given. Uh, absolutely, Pope for UT wants to know: Will Tennessee take more than twenty-five recruits this year, counting blue shirts, gray shirts, et cetera? Austin, they going to exceed twenty-five? Maybe. I love it. He says, "Maybe move on." All right, we'll twenty-six move on. right now. Correct. Yeah. You never know how the numbers are all going to shake out when it's all said and done. Hey, Pete, do you think that the numbers work themselves out? They always do, Ron. They always do. Tampa Vol, speaking of numbers, wants to know, I know all this depends on numbers next year, but with eligibility not counting this year, what seniors do you think will be allowed to come back and which ones do you think will move on? For example, we know Trey's in the league, but someone like Brandon Kennedy not going to the league. Brandon, Brandon Kennedy's back. gone. Brandon Kennedy's not coming back. Yeah, I agree. I think he's going to have a shot in the league, too. Um, He'll be collecting Social Security this time, actually. <laughs> there are a handful of guys, I believe, that will fall into the do-can-come-back category. You know, I think that, you know, how that shakes out is way too early to determine. Uh, here's the thing you, you don't know, too. While as fans, we all crave and love football and, you know, we, you know, we can't imagine somebody not being interested in playing football because we would all love the opportunity to – you know, to be six foot five and whatever, and, and to be able to play at that level just to see what it feels like. Some of those guys, if they've been in college for three or four years, five years, you know, some of them are, you know, not calling them social security people, Rob, but, you know, those guys are 24, 25 years old in some cases. They're ready to move on in life, you know, and, and maybe they've had enough um, to where they're just not interested in going through the grind and, and going through. Um, you know, trying to, you know, trying to get ready to play every week. So I, I think that's something that you have to look at and um, have to consider when you look at all this as well. Fine. Let's go to Minnesota Vol, who's up next here on the podcast. Got a couple of questions here. Is it fair to expect that the SEC will have to establish some type of guidelines similar to the Big 12 within the next couple of weeks regarding numbers of players available to play? 
And two, will you verify if the city county guidelines supersede SEC guidelines in regards to contact tracing? I think we've already discussed in detail the contact tracing with uh, in regards to the city county versus the SEC. Um, to answer this first question, guys, it does feel like that they're going to have to put some parameters in place in the SEC on what numbers you have in order to say, hey, we're playing or we're not playing this game. Don't you guys think that's going to have to come down? Yeah, to I mean, the Big, the Big 12 did that. We talked about that earlier in the week. It just makes sense that you have to have so many of certain guys. Although, I mean, again, Coach Pruitt loves to tell that he's an old high school coach. I do think it's conceivable that you can – you know, move guys around. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, Rob, you can move guys around, you know, and I think the other thing, Dan Mullen mentioned this a little bit, you start getting into that numbers game, uh, do some schools manipulate those numbers to their better benefit if they want to try to move a game for later in the season and some of that gamesmanship that you see in the SEC. Yeah, and, and I thought it was interesting yesterday because I mean, it was somebody, I, I don't remember who asked it, but somebody asked Coach Brewer about guys like, you know, Jeremy Banks, who has played running back and is now a linebacker. Alante Taylor, who was, you know, played all over the place on offense in high school. Are they are they working anybody two ways in anticipation, you know, of, of maybe, you know, have, having to deal with that? And, and, and he said, no, they're, they're not, which, you know, is not surprising the fact that they're having problems even just practicing, let alone practicing guys that on off, offense or defense. But, I, I mean, I – I mean, I, I understand what the Big 12 is doing, but uh, I, mean, I think it's kind of a I, – I don't, I don't know what the number would be, I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, and, and I'm with you that some, some, some coaches, I think, certainly could slide that thing around if they didn't like where they were at or if they're – depending on who, what individuals were out that week. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and the, the Big 12's walked that back a little bit, but you can't, you can't expect a team – to show up with 38 players either. No. You know, I mean, you, you got to have, you got to have some, some player safety stuff involved there. So that that's next on the horizon, I think for the SEC, certainly to look at. All right. A couple more and then we're out the door here. Uh, where does Tennessee stand with the Wade twins? Are they package deal? Um, and over and under on a football commit in the class of 22 in the month of October. AP, where are they? Look, I'm not worried about the over and under on that. I don't know if anybody's going to go, in the class of 22 in October at this point. Where do you think they are at the, with the Wade Twins? I mean, I think that, you know, they're actively recruiting them. Um, I think Destin continues to become a more and more of a quarterback prospect by the week. Um, and then uh, the other one is uh, is out right now, uh, but looking to come back from injury in about two or three weeks. Um, and when was the last time you saw Twins go separately? Yeah, I mean, exactly. It just doesn't happen. I mean, like, to me, like, that's just, I mean, like, Anytime you see twins, they're going to go play at the same school. That happens. It's like the Brockermeyer twins. They weren't, you know, Alabama was all fired up about the five-star, the other kid they like. I mean, but they were always going to take both. I mean, it's just yep. how it works. Yep, that's certainly generally how it works with all twins. Logan Bartlett wants to know, could you talk a little bit about the thought process that goes into the ranking of offensive linemen for rivals? Is it based on what someone will ultimately be or what they are today or a combination? It seems our OL line recruiting, particularly this year, Seems that we've been going after guys who are maybe lower ranked but are high development guys. Is this an intentional thing for us because they won't be needed next year? So we're taking bigger project types that maybe aren't as ranked as high, or is this just a random disconnect of rankings versus our interest? Um, I think I think it's a little bit of all, Austin. I mean, I, I think there's probably some guys, um, you know, that I, I think Tennessee certainly likes a guy like William Griffin Parker higher than he's ranked. 
I, I don't think there's I don't think there's any any doubt about that when you when you look at that. But in some other cases, Tennessee's probably in a position where they can take some guys who don't have to come in and play right away, particularly at that position, which you never really want to have happen. Well, they they are. They're obviously looking to get tackles, which you know, getting tackle bodies are hard. Um, and but you know, I, I think that the the rankings are skewed this year, anyways. But even if even if you know they had, there had been camps like, you know, I, I just still don't understand the ranking for some of these kids. You know, TID. I mean, he's not offensive lineman, but look who all he's offered him. You know, Williams the same way. I mean, who did he pick Tennessee over? Alabama and Florida. You know, and that's not to say a three-star can't pick those, but I just – at some point, you know, I think that the ranking doesn't justify what the kid is. Yeah, and and obviously those are subjective and, and uh, you know, vary from person to person. And um, that's part of the – that's part of the rankings process is for people not to agree and have – I'm not saying they intentionally do stuff to create debates, but the, just by nature those things are always going to create debates and – uh, plenty of wonder about, you know, what goes into all of that, how that all comes about. It's obviously very different this year without a camp. But I'll say this, too. I think offensive linemen are the hardest guys to project. I think they're the hardest ones to figure out in the whole rankings process. And and, and that's not knocking the rankings analysts, but you can look at Reggie Bush and say he can play. Okay? Yeah. You can look at it. That that one's pretty easy. But, but who, who saw others. Eric Fisher becoming the number one pick in the NFL draft? Yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, you or, know. or quarterback. I mean, you can see, you know, quarterback throw dimes. You can see a kid like Malachi Weidman go down at a high point of ball, you know, 50 yards down the field. But, you know, offensive line, I mean, their, their bodies change so much. Well, and it can't. They're 16 it, to their 20. And at camps, all you're doing is pass pro. You know, one-on-one pass pro stuff. You're not doing any run blocking stuff. So it's a total, you know, it's a, it's a different evaluation when you, when you look at those. And I think everybody will tell you that they're the hardest to evaluate. All right, last question, and we're out the door here. I know this doesn't exactly fall under uh, the VolQuest coverage, but is Kevin Warren unfairly getting bashed for the Big Ten not playing, or do you think he could be doing more? He's certainly the recipient of the most of the finger pointing, but it seems like the Big Ten presidents decide to play or not play, he doesn't really have much say in that matter. What are your thoughts? No, he's absolutely not being unfairly judged. I mean, like, as James Franklin said, most the biggest thing everybody's wanting to know is why. And they can't get a legitimate reason why the season was shut down. There's nothing wrong with it being shut down if you have a legitimate reason. Just give people, uh, you know, a, a legitimate you know thought process. Hey, this is what went into the decision. I don't think anybody in that league feels like, they got any of that from Kevin Warren, and uh, that's why he's taking a bloodbath on this deal. But, I mean, I kind of—I mean, I see that AP. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I mean, wasn't there allegedly a ten to three vote by the presidents? I mean, what what can Kevin Warren do about that? Well, that's- but he can justify the decision. Hey, here's why they voted ten three, and it, and it's on him to me to call the presidents or or you know get specifics from the presidents. Hey, why'd you vote no? Hey, why'd you vote no? I mean, you're getting paid a job, you know, to, to, to handle. Paid very well. I mean, he's no Greg Sankey. I'll grant you that. Well, I, sure. I just think I, I think that he doesn't have the power, probably, that some people thought that he had because the presidents up there are going to decide whether or not they're going to play. The, the presidents in the SEC looked at the financial ramifications of things and said, hey, we need to try to do everything we can to play. That's not the viewpoint of the Big Ten. Who's right? Who's wrong? You can debate that for another day. I think where the, the, the 
the criticism for Kevin Warren comes in, AP is what you're talking about, and it's the lack of transparency that they have. Yeah. It's not up to James Franklin to call and poll the rest of the Big Ten presidents and go, why are we not playing? Instead, they ought to be able to call the leader of that conference and say, explain to me why we're not playing. Give me some factual data that I can have to say why we're not playing so that I can take that back to my coaches and my players. I think that's where their frustration is. Not so much in that Kevin Warren is not going, all right, presidents, y'all got to fall in line behind me because I'm in charge. But I think their, their lack of information that they feel like they're getting from that office um, is what's maddening to those coaches out there. And listen, they're only going to get madder after this weekend and the following weekend if teams around the country continue to play without issue and they're sitting at home not playing with no plan. I think that's the other thing, too, no plan. What's the plan? They haven't been given any kind of plan moving forward. They've read all the rumors out there that all the media types are talking about, October, November, spring, this, that, the other. They haven't been given a clear plan, and I think that's adding to the frustration that's only going to grow as yeah, the season I, I goes along. Spring, I, I think the spring stuff is a total no-go. Don't you guys? I mean, you're going mean, to have a bunch of third stringers you know, playing for Ohio State, walk-ons. I mean, kids. I mean, kids are gonna. They're gonna be getting ready for the draft. They're they're not gonna want to play two seasons in ten months. I just. I think this the spring is a non-starter for me. I agree, particularly if you have a college football playoff of some variety at in the wintertime. So, what are you playing for in the spring? It's essentially Austin yeah. eight or eight or ten scrimmage. It's, it's what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. So, I I think the opt-out there is going to be significantly high when you look at, at, at that situation. Um, but, I, again, I think the frustration in that league is only going to spill over over the course of the next couple of weeks as they see more and more teams around the country begin to play. Hey, that's going to do it for this edition of the VolQuest.com Mailbag Podcast. Need to tell you about our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Can't thank Jeremy and his staff enough for all that they do for the community to service all of your HVAC needs. Uh, your air conditioning needs out there. If you've got a repair that needs to happen, you want, you want it done the right way. And if you call Blue Water Climate Control, it's going to get done the right way, the right repair, the first time, and all the repairs come with a one-year warranty. You hope that you don't have to do that. But, look, it's inevitable. We all have to go through that with our uh, air conditioning and our HVAC units. So you want somebody who can do it the right way, that's Blue Water Climate Control. They're going to send out an expert, not a salesperson, someone who can tell you what the problem is, and can look at it. If you want to try to avoid those problems, take advantage of their $79.99 tune-up that they offer for you. Uh, is a great thing to keep your uh, product in line and keep it ready to go. So I, I think that um, th there's not a better service to call out there, not a better group of people to call out there than Blue Water Climate Control. So check them out online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. You can give them a call at 865 299 2290 for any questions you have to make an appointment or whatever you need. You can also make an appointment online or check them out on Twitter at blue H2O underscore climate for Austin price, Rob Lewis. I'm Brent hubs. Thanks for joining us on this Friday podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody.